the biggest thing in Scripture that we need to be reminded of is God's grace. Can you say that word with me today? Grace. God's grace. So there's a guy, and I've shared this story a long time ago, but I was reminded of it this past week. His name is Hiro Anoda, and I'm probably butchering that, but he's Japanese, so it would be said however the Japanese would say that. Hiro Anoda, that's how I'm going to say it today. He was a Japanese army intelligence officer. This guy was fighting in World War II, and somehow he was stationed in the Philippines. And so he's stationed in the Philippines. He's, uh, he's got a small group with him that uh, ends up, after some battles and skirmishes, being about five or so of them, just a small group. And, and so Hiro is there, and as you know, World War II ended, right? It's over. World War II is over, yet Hiro Anoda does not know that it's over. And he's continuing to fight. He's continuing to stand his ground with a couple other people that are there. This guy is honorable. He's got his sword. He's got a knife that his mother had given him that if the enemy ever caught up with him, he would take his own life. You know, the typical kind of Japanese, I don't know if they were, if they were the ones that had the kamikazes, but that honorable mentality. And he's going to continue to fight and fight, but the war, the war had ended. And so he's there, and then they, the plane, they have planes fly over and drop leaflets to say, hey, the war is over. But him and his buddies are looking at this stuff, and it's like, no, nah, this is a trick. Another time, plane flies over, and they're dropping, like, family photos and different things, you know. The war is over. Trying to drop different kind of leaflets. Still doesn't believe that it's true. And because the news is too good to believe Literally, Mr. Anoda was on this island in the Philippines for 29 years of his life, missing the rest of the world that was going on. 29 years of his life still fighting a war that was over. Can you imagine? And finally getting off that island and realizing you've wasted essentially 29 years of your life. He was, a, he was a faithful soldier, but because he had found it hard to believe that the war was over, he missed out on almost 30 years of his life. I think sometimes that, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? And you're missing out. Sometimes people find the good news of God's grace, I think, too, too good to believe. How can God really forgive me? How can God really love me? How can God really offer grace to me? How can this be real? Because it's very suspect in our society, right, to receive something. If it's something's too good to be true, right, it's probably not real, right? There's no such thing as a free what? Free ride, a free lunch, you know? You have to earn something in order to receive something. If you get a phone call and someone says, hey, you've won a trip to the Caribbean, you go, <laughs> click, right? Because those things don't happen. All the stuff that comes in the mail that says, congratulations, you're a winner, we consider that what kind of mail? Junk mail. It's not real. 
Because it's too good to be what? It's too good to be true. But here's the thing. The, the grace of God, we would put into that category, we would say it's too good to be true, but here's the real deal. It actually is true. It actually is real. God's grace is real. But we shake our heads and we struggle with it because we can't, we don't know how to live with something that good. How can God truly wipe away the past? It's one thing to know that verse I mentioned in my prayer in 2 Corinthians, right? 5.17, right? If anyone is in Christ, the old is what? It's gone. And the new is what? It's come. We're new, depending on the version you read, we're new creations in Christ. Brand new. How can that be possible? But it cannot for us to truly be effective believers, to really live life and not be stuck on an island like Hero was, we have to know that it's not just an intellectual thing, but it's real. We have to live and we have to walk in it. We have to answer the phone call of the good news because it's not just intellectual. Forgiveness and grace is real. And that's really kind of what we're all about as a church, aren't we? We have to continue to come back to grace. We have to continue to study it. We have to continue to encourage one another in it. Because this is the most amazing good news that we have to offer the world. Because raise your hand if you've screwed up. Come on, don't be so shy about it. Yeah, right? First of all, the Bible says we've all screwed up. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of who God is. The glory of God is what that verse says. We've all done it. And unfortunately, we continue to do it. But God's grace, God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness changes all of that. It wipes away the past and gives us a new life. So as your great reminder of what God says this morning, let's take a look in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 is where we will be. We're going to begin by looking at verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And I want you to pull out your phones and get it in front of you. If you have an actual Bible, get it in front of you. The more tactile, the better. Because this has got to get into our heads. I've been in, in, in some form of ministry since, since 97. And I've heard the story of grace over and over, but I still need to be, need to be reminded. And let's take a look at what this says. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is, you know, the Ephesians, you guys are a great church, but I, I continue to pray for you. And what is he praying for? He says, verse, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know 
what is the hope to which he has called you. That you, you really grasp it. That you really understand what it is God has done. Right? It says that you may know the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You can't measure it. That's what that means. The power that God works in our lives, we can't measure it. We can't, we cannot get our arms around it, yet we think we do. If we can just cast aside grace, if we can just cast aside, we think we know all this stuff, I've read through the Bible, I got it. It's not like that. The immeasurable power of God to actually work in your life, you can't measure it, it's huge. And Paul is saying, I wish that you would begin to really See and let this wisdom of God, this revelation, let him work in you and understand all how big God really is. It says, according to the working of his great might, in verse 20, I'm going blind here. 20, yes, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. It says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his what? What's that? His body, the fullness of him who fills All in all. The church is the what of Christ? It's the body of Christ. And He is the head. He is the one that's over it all. He is the one who who directs His church. He is the one who who causes it to be alive, that sustains it, that that gives power and authority and all these things. But we are the body of Christ. We are the body as the church, which means that we're the ones that function as Christ in this world. And if we don't get grace, if we don't show grace, there's a, there's a real issue. It's a real problem because we are, as you've heard said before, His hands and His feet. And so grace has to be lived out, it has to be understood, it has to be accepted, it has to be real because it is real, right? But it has to be lived and and expressed as his body, it says, who fills all in all. We are the, the visual display, if you will, of who God is in the world. And grace is is the that that kind of the main jewel in the crown, if you will. So I wish you would understand it, he says, and I wish you would, you would really grasp it. And then he begins to kind of go in in chapter 2, and we see this, this understanding of what we once were, but who we are now. Sometimes we've got to be reminded of who you once were because you realize that's not who you are anymore. The old is what, again? The old is gone. 
What does gone mean? no longer. I'm asking you because we can say the words, but we keep going back to gone, keep trying to, right? The definition of love, when we talk about that in, in um, 2 Corinthians 5 or 1 Corinthians, I'm getting it all mixed up. The definition of love talks about love is patient, it's kind, it's, it's all these things, but then it also says there's no record of what? There's no record of wrongs. We don't keep track of all of the things. God doesn't keep track. Unfortunately, sometimes we do. But God does not keep track of past mistakes because the old is, it's gone. It's not there. In fact, he even says it's forgotten. He says it's cast into the sea. It's gone. And if we're to be like God, if we're to, to love like Him, then we're to be the same way. Grace means that the past is gone. How many have trouble letting go of things? Yeah. All right, we probably can't raise our hand high enough. And so he reminds us of the past. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this. And you were, were is a past tense word, by the way, right? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. It's kind of, there are such a thing as zombies. The people walking around on this world that don't know Jesus are the living dead. They're the walking dead, Okay. Not the MC series, all right? But they are walking around dead. They don't understand life. They don't know God. And that's what this is describing. This is the, our life prior to Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. This is how the world says to go. Following that course, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? No, no, no following the, the prince of the air. We're talking about Satan, okay? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, okay? Imagine the, it's just the, the darkest kind of life without God, dead, being led, whether they realize it or not. It's not a popular thing to tell someone that doesn't know Jesus, by the way. But being led by the spirit, of, of Satan, okay? The prince of the power of the air, it says. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, just doing whatever you wanted to do, whatever felt right, if it feels good, do it. The whole, you know, statement, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There's nothing else to live for except for pleasure. Pure, the word for that is hedonism. Just, just go crazy, because that's all you have is what you see in front of you. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And here's, and, and you've heard this said, this isn't new. The next two words, though, are really good. Good stuff. Someone say those two words to me. But God. And that's what grace is all about, right? It's that, but God. 
changed the course of everything. He changed the course of everything for me. Changed the course of everything for you. But God, the difference maker. But God being rich in what? Mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Is it because we were lovable? You know? It says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even in the midst of sin, in the midst of our filth and our disgustingness, if you will, from the things that we had done, in the midst of that, God steps in because of his great mercy and his love. In the middle of it. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. No longer the walking zombies, if you will, caught in the trap of sin, the course of this world, but he made us alive. When you made a decision to follow Jesus, literally, our sins are forgiven, and it says that the Spirit of God indwells us. We become alive because of the Spirit of God. It's kind of similar in my mind to what happened with Adam. Adam was just dirt. God formed him, it says, out of the dirt of the ground, formed him, and then he wasn't alive, though, until God did something. Until he breathed, it says, into his nostrils, the breath of what? Who knows? The breath of life. He breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, and it says that Adam became a living being. We're essentially just dirt. I'm not trying to degrade you, but, you know, that we get all scientific here. I wish we had dentists to kind of give us some of the stuff, right? But, you know, what, what dust is in your house, unfortunately, let's get all really nice and gross, it's, it's, it's human skin, right? You are, <laughs> everything is just falling off continually. The only thing that gives us life is this breath. It's the Spirit of God. And so it says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. His Holy Spirit indwells us. And then it says this, by grace you have been saved. By grace. And raised us up with him, who's him, who was raised from the dead, Jesus. All this is with him, by the way. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He sat us with him. It's... Uh, Hard to grasp and hard to understand. You're like, what do you mean? I'm sitting right here. I'm sitting in a church chair. 
positionally right now seated us with him. Who sits on thrones? Kings and leaders. And, and we sit with him. But, but it's all by what? It's all by grace. See, what's really cool about this, we're going to look at this next verse, is that God takes pleasure in this. God is the one who loves to bring the broken things back together. He's the one that loves to heal. He's the one that loves to, to throw away the past and to see the new. It's incredible. Look at what it says in, in the next verse. In verse 7 it says, He did this so that in the coming ages He might show the another immeasurable, here we go, that He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. Display it. People stick out when they love other people, don't they? Because we don't see that very often in our world. When they display the love of Christ, it's, it's huge. God wanted to display the, the immensity, the immeasurable riches of His grace towards us. But here's, here's the problem is that we can't grasp that sometimes. We still think we've got to earn something. We still think we've got to be good enough. We have to work towards stuff. And God does want us to, obviously, to do good things, to live a good life. But your effort is never going to be adequate. You can't earn your place. You can't wash out the stains of the past. You cannot do it. But Jesus can. It's only because of Jesus. And we say that and we think about that intellectually, and then we come back and we say, but I've got I've to I've do this. I've got to do that. And if I don't, he won't love me. If I, don't, if I miss my devotion, he won't love me. If I mess up today and I use my language driving down the road, he won't love me. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Your human effort doesn't do it. It doesn't. And so he says this, he says, so, so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by what you have been saved? By grace, not by Lance, not by Edie, not by Chris. We have this tendency, I think, especially in America too, where it's like it's, we have to make it happen. You know, put on your bootstraps, get this thing done. We will find a way. We will make it happen, Captain. You know, it's, we will lock this down. Okay, if this isn't working, then, you know, if this diet isn't working, then I've got to get a gym membership. I've got to put a lock on the fridge that Diane only has the things to. All kinds of human effort to do this. 
you know? We're going to figure this out one way or the other. We're going to make it happen. You know, we're captains of industry. You know, Eric's big thing I'm sure he's thinking about is how is he going to make his new business work? He's got to do this. He's got to do that. If he didn't make enough money, he's going to reevaluate. He's going to make these things happen. We all week long have to figure things out. You got a new contact to make. How am I going to get to this guy in the school to get this Wi-Fi into this place? I got to, this didn't work. All right, let's reevaluate. Let's try this. And that's how we do. That's how we think. We have this grand mind that God has given us to try to figure things out. But you can't figure this out. For it is by grace you have been saved. But here's the key part of this next verse. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. That's what you can do. But faith is different than work, isn't it? Work means you do something and you earn something in return. Faith means that you are trusting someone. You want to be forgiven? You want to understand grace? Then you will exercise faith. You will exercise belief in what God has said. Faith. How do you receive grace? Faith. Belief. Trust in what He has already done for you. It's really hard, though, sometimes, because people that are used to earning something, people that are used to doing something on our own, don't like to trust other people. We like to control it, right? If you can control something, you got this, right? I don't know if any of you are like me. Sometimes if I have to get something done because of my controlling nature, I won't accept help. I I got this. I'll do it. I got it. And sometimes, because we think it's it's, it's harder because if someone else comes in, they may not quite do it the way we want it done, right? So we control things, and we do things ourselves. you know? But you have to have faith. You have to trust that others, when we, when we clean up, right, that someone's going to roll those cords up and they're going to be okay. That when they pull that speaker down, it's not going to fall off onto the floor. With humans, because we know ourselves, humans fail. But there's one who has never failed and never will. Now, who's that? All right, we remembered the Sunday school thing. You can say it. Jesus. He will never fail. We can trust him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's all he asks from us is to have faith. But what happens is we have faith in one moment and then we don't have faith. We come back and we start looking at ourselves. We start looking at what we've done and the mistakes we've made. I want to remind you of something. When Jesus died on the cross, Did he just die for the sins that had taken place up until that moment? If that's true, then we're screwed. Because we weren't even a a glimmer in anybody's eye, right? But here's the thing. When when God, I heard a good description of this the other day. God is kind of like he's on a, a tall building overlooking this parade that walks by. His perspective is above 
time. He sees the beginning, he sees the middle, and he sees the end. We can't because we're what? We're human. But he is God after all. We talk about some of his characteristics that he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. We're like, how is that possible? He's, he's all these things. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. When he died on the cross for sin, he died for all of sin, for all of time, the past, the present, and the future. He saw it all and took it upon him. We have to trust him. This is real? Yeah. Why do we think we need to pull away from trusting him in that thing and maybe we can trust him in other things? It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. Salvation, grace, is a gift from God, not a result of works. It's not a result of anything you've done, again, so that no one may boast. So that no one can boast. There are people that has there ever, you ever been in a situation where there's a, there's a job up for promotion, right? And, and you're looking at the opportunity to get this job. And you're in this department, and other people want this job too, right? Because they want the extra moolah and the responsibility and the authority to be in that position. It would be really cool to move from being this to being that, being this, to being the manager, this, to being the director, whatever, to be in this position. You ever been there? And what happens? People start politicking. Never talk to the guy in charge. Next thing you know, they're over there bringing him cookies. Or they're, they're just, all of a sudden, they've been late every day, and then they're there on time. And they're staying later even, right? Kind of politicking kind of trying to show by their own human efforts, by their own stuff, right, that they're good enough for this, trying to earn their way, trying to show their way, trying to show out. Jesus says that this is a gift, this grace that I've shown you, this love, this, this forgiveness you have received is a gift. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. You didn't do anything to get here. Nobody did anything to get here. Billy Graham is no better than you. <gasps> He's not. Billy Graham still wouldn't have been good enough. And he knows it. It's only by the grace of God. It says, for we're his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared him beforehand 
that we would walk in them. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good things. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't honor God, that, that we shouldn't strive in every aspect of life to honor God with everything that we say and we do. That's, that's a given. That's obvious, but you don't earn it. You don't have anything to do with your grace of God. You have nothing to do with salvation. It's all about Christ. He receives all the glory, all the accolades, everything. Everything. We're going to look at one more verse and, and we'll be done. We're going to look at chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 14. Another prayer that Paul prays for the church. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You have to be rooted, it says, in love. You have to be rooted in the grace of God to comprehend God. You see, you, you, you're, you're, you're missing out on the fullness of what it means to understand who God is and to live with Him and for Him and to be a part of His family, to be His child, if you're not standing firmly upon His love and His grace. If we don't get that, we miss Him. He's like, no, 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 stop, stop. You don't realize that I love you, that you're forgiven, that my grace is real. And, and if you don't grasp that and you keep trying to do things yourself and trying to make it about you and if I'm not good enough and bad, I'm not, you know, all this other kind of stuff, you're missing out. We have to have a firm foundation on the love and grace of God. Firm foundation on His love and His grace. You see, the Pharisees didn't get it, did they? I think of the story of the, of the woman who was reading about it in one of my devotions this week. The woman that was caught in adultery, right? She's in the middle of the circle of men who are trying to throw stones at her. Because they caught her, it says, in the very act. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? They didn't get his grace, did they? They wanted to take the very act of judgment into their own hands. And Jesus said, okay, well, if you want to take the act of judgment into your own hands, don't leave yourself out. Every one of us is dependent upon the grace of God. Be rooted in it. Be 
sit on it, stand on it, know it, know how real it is. Be rooted and grounded in love. That's foundational stuff. If you're not rooted and grounded in love, you can't understand God. God's not asking you to be rooted and, and, and grounded in, in check boxes for your life. In, in whatever those the right things are. There's things that he's called us to do, but he says to be rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in his grace, rooted and grounding in his understanding of how massive he loves you, and not just you, but everybody else. If you can't love, you're, 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 you have a poor foundation. And not just for others, but for yourself. what it says. That you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't, do you think you understand God's love? If we hadn't just read the Scripture, you might have said, yeah, I think so. No, you don't. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And I love this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you want the fullness of God? Do you want everything that He has to offer you? I do. Sometimes we we feel like living a life that that pleases God is impossible. You know. And the comment I made about Billy Graham is like, yeah, that's great, but here's this lump on a log. And we still feel bad about ourselves. We still think I'm never going to be the person that, that Jesus wants me to be, or I'm this, or I'm that. Look at what it says, the rest of this. It says, now to him, talking about Christ, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. More than you ask or think. Think you can figure it out, right? Think if I do this, I do that, stop this, whatever. More than we can even ask or think. To him who is able to do more abundantly than all of that, according to the power at work within us. Don't forget that. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's an incredible prayer. I want to pray it for all of us this morning. Don't forget who is at work within you. 
If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, His Spirit indwells us. He loves us. He has given us complete forgiveness and grace and love so that we could be rooted and we could know who God is, know what He's all about, so that because of that, understanding that grace, understanding that love, understanding that forgiveness, that we can actually live the life He's called us to. But it starts with that foundation. If we can't accept His gift, we can't give it out. Because you have to accept it and open the box and begin to take out of the box, if you know what I'm saying, to give to everybody else. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, I could say a prayer that makes me think that I understand it, but even according to your word, there's no way I'll ever grasp it. It's bigger than we can comprehend. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that the truth of that today, that we would accept that, that we would stop trying to, to earn our way Lord, I do pray that we would please you in all that we do, but Lord, I know that that comes out of a foundation of your grace and your love. Help us to see others. Help us to see ourselves the way that you do. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our salvation. Lord, as as Paul prayed, I want to pray for all of us as well that according to the riches of your glory, that you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being. So Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that, that, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would have the strength to comprehend with other believers in Christ what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of you, Lord that surpasses knowledge. Lord, that we would be filled with the fullness of you. Lord, please fill us up. Please have your way in our lives. Lord, you can do more abundantly than all we think, all we ask, according to your power that is at work within us. And Lord, we pray that we, we would depend upon you, that we would live off of that power of your spirit. Thank you so much for loving us. Again, help us to see ourselves the way that you do. Thank you for your grace. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.